Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Decoding Unknown. This time, thank you, Kevin, for writing this. It's all about, was Mary Magdalene married to Jesus? This really exposed... The most I know about this, wasn't this about... There was something about the Da Vinci Code, that damn brown book. This features in that. I don't remember anything about it. I'm not entirely sure who Mary Magdalene was. I know who Jesus is. I went to religious school. Like, I went to full, like, had to go to church twice a week study bible all of this nonsense that i i just i've never been into any of this stuff and i still don't know who these people are probably because i didn't pay a great deal of attention i mean i know who jesus was i said that already but mary magdalene as i as, isn't that mary isn't mary and joseph isn't that jesus's mum? is he married to his mum? he's probably not it's probably a different mary mary's a common name let's go the format here is i've never read this before obviously because i'm clearly ignorant kevin wrote it i'm gonna read it we're gonna explore it together we're gonna decode it see what we did there with the title big brain <laughs> I've always been fascinated by various theologies and mythologies, though the only real difference between those words seems to be whether or not the speaker believes any of the stories are actually true. Oh, I see. Like mythology, myths. Myths are like made up. Theology is like historical religious past. Sort of right? Is that true? I'm pretty sure I've mentioned this on the channel before, but I was actually an altar boy growing up. Back then, when I was young and naive enough to believe that helping people was actually a worthwhile goal, I'd even considered becoming a priest. Wow! My thing, I wasn't an altar boy. I don't think we really had altar boys. That's not, I don't think that was a thing that existed. What I would love to do is I'd do all the readings. Like, um, in secondary school, I don't know. This was the guy who got me into, like, theatre and drama the first time, was my religious studies teacher, Father John. And he was like, we'd have like class or whatever, and we'd read sections from the Bible. And he's always like, and Simon's going to read from the Bible today. <laughs> and I'd be like, why? It's like, because you read better than everybody else. So I just read. And look, this is now what I do as a career in a, in a strange way. But that got me into drama. And he was also the, he was like the drama teacher as well. Like back when I first joined the school. He left after like two years. But this guy got me started on all that. Great dude. And so, yeah, I'd always volunteer to, or not volunteer, I'd always be like, yeah, you got to stand in front of school and read the, the passage from, the reading from the Bible. I used to love that shit. Like, no interest in what I was reading. I just liked reading in front of people. And now it's what I do. There's a chance that could have happened were I born into a different religion, but I was raised Catholic. Once the reality set in that Catholic priests weren't allowed to have sex, or at least not with adult women. <laughs> I don't think they're allowed to have sex with anybody. I wasn't I wasn't in a Catholic school. I was in, I guess, Church of England. I don't even know! Is that Protestantism? Is that the regular school? Like, I was in, I, I'm not into any of this. Neither of my parents are religious. Well, that was an absolute deal breaker for me. As it should, like, <laughs> bad news. Good news. You get to be a priest? Okay, I'm not sure. Like, okay, I guess some people see that as good. Bad news, no more sex. 
that's 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 disappointing it didn't help that the more different types of people i met the more i learned about the history and all that awful stuff the catholic church has gotten up to over the past 1500 years and so i felt less like organized religion was for me but to be fair and despite the efforts of one recent pope the catholic church's official stance is that evolution is real the big bang is real and when scientists talk to you about things like cosmology and biology you should probably shut up and listen that doesn't erase centuries of corruption and violence but at least they aren't telling people the earth is only 10,000 years old and that antibiotics are the tool of the devil anyway we're not here to actually discuss religion instead we're here to discuss two historical figures jesus of nazareth and mary of magdala normally referred to as mary magdalene there is little debate among secular historians that they were both real people and honestly it feels like the debate that remains is just bad faith arguments from people who hate religion enough to want these people to have never have existed when you're in that camp it's just like bro that's not you just hate history at that point like these people can exist it doesn't mean you have to like believe they were in any way special but who exactly was mary to jesus was she just another run-of-the-mill disciple or was their relationship anything more anyone who has read simon's all-time favorite book the da vinci code <laughs> where did you get this idea the da vinci code's a good like it's an enjoyable novel it's far from my favorite book knows that there is a popular notion that the two were married and even had children this may come as a shock but dan brown wasn't even close to the first person to propose this theory the controversy came to the forefront of public consciousness again in 2012 with the unveiling of the gospel of jesus's wife by the harvard divinity school by 2016 it was proven to be a forgery which is why you probably don't even remember hearing about it but it was a fairly high quality fake on medieval papyrus that took some effort to debunk this certainly seems like people wanted to be true but was mary magdalene really married to jesus mary in the bible if you're at all familiar with the story of jesus's life there's probably a singular a distinct image that comes to mind when you think of mary magdalene she is generally portrayed as a repentant sex worker who famously washed jesus's feet with perfume and her tears and dried them with her hair in a banquet at the house of simon i don't even i i i didn't know this i i don't know this at all this is what she's most well known for and it's not at all true there are a few issues that have led to mary's depiction in this way the first is that we don't know much about mary the new testament was written about jesus and there's still a solid 18 years of his life that are completely unaccounted for so it shouldn't be surprising that there's not a ton of backstory and character development on the secondary characters as the centuries of christianity rolled on they introduced new ideas to flash the characters out some more in this instance it was done by pope gregory in 591 yeah when you're talking like centuries after the fact and the guy who's doing it is a like pope who let's just say probably a little bit biased it's like you can't just be adding stories to history like this i know in the past like historians made history up and stuff it just wasn't like as rigorous as it is today but this is it's it's like it's pretty irresponsible <laughs> the above story of a woman washing jesus's feet did take place in the bible but it wasn't done by mary the act was performed by someone who was referred to only as a sinful woman while delivering a homily the catholic word for sermon pope gregory decided to roll mary magdalene mary of bethany and the sinful woman all into a single character he also unilaterally decided that the sinful woman must have been a sex worker and adulterer because why not can you imagine if it was just like okay the future to like roll together sort of similar uh, characters from the same period it'd be like yeah no 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 the future hitler and stalin were just rolled into one big evil character uh, i was like no you don't do that this highlights another major issue with the backstory of mary magdalene as it persists in the public consciousness mary 
was the most common Jewish name at the time that this was taking place, most common by an extraordinary margin. There's like a dozen different women named Mary in the New Testament, and that is entirely too many to keep track of since most of them weren't that important. It was much easier to just start rolling a bunch of them together into a single, more developed character. This would be fine if it was a fictional story, but when you're kind of passing it off as history, you shouldn't be doing this. Although Pope Gregory had invented the idea of Mary as a sex worker, the people wanted it to be true. The only thing people wanted to be true more than for her to be a repentant sex worker was for her to be Jesus' wife. It became an extremely important part of her character, showing the transformation from sinner to saint. It made for a nice narrative, but it's completely untrue. But of all the reasons people want to expand Mary's backstory, quite probably the biggest reason is that she was one of the most important characters in the New Testament. Her name appears 12 times in the canonical Gospels, which is more times than most of the apostles' names appear. Although she is often depicted as appearing as part of a group of women, she is the one that gets mentioned by name. It's never just, here's a bunch of Jesus groupies. It's always, here's Mary Magdalene and all those other women no one cares about. <laughs> <laughs> They're just background action. <laughs> Other than being repeatedly name-dropped, what made Mary so important? We know Jesus was a carpenter. Oh, I did know that. I did know that. But there's no evidence as to whether he was actually a good carpenter or not. He doesn't seem to actually do any carpentry at all in the Bible, and it's possible he only had that title because it was his father's profession, not because he ever did it himself. But being the alleged Messiah isn't free, so if he was going to work, he needed to get money somehow. And that's where Mary came in. Mary, along with less important unnamed women, was responsible for bankrolling Jesus' activities. Jesus was a kept man. <laughs> because of this, it is believed that she likely came from a wealthy family. There is one story of Jesus feeding 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. <laughs> you just don't want to give Mary credit. It's like, how did you do that, Jesus? How did you do that? Was it your wife's money, Jesus? Was it on money bags, your dad-in-law? He's like, no, I magicked the bread and fish. Never gain any credit that family family money. But even if it did really happen as some sort of divine miracle, it didn't seem to be an everyday sort of thing. In general, he still needed money like everybody else. I assume Simon has drawn some parallels between Jesus using his female followers to bankroll his life and modern-day sex cults. I didn't, but I can. Uh, so if you're, let, if you're done, let's move on. Okay, look, you made the point for me. It's true. But it, it, like, legit. In addition to her financial contributions, Mary was a trusted disciple and present at many of the important events in his life. I see, it does sound so culty now you've mentioned it, Kevin. She accompanied him on many journeys. What's that famous quote that says, like, um, who said this? It's so good. Uh, a religion is just a cult with political power. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even the big one. Or one of the big ones. What's the most popular religion? Is it Christianity? I feel like there's a lot of Christians. And they, they do also do that proselytizing thing. Like, my grandparents super religious. And they'd always be, like, trying to do church and, like, talking about Jesus and stuff. And I'd just be like, no thanks. But they were really into it. They, like, became uh, evangelical. They want to tell people to join their religion. Whereas the other religions are like, right, no, you can't just join them. <laughs> She accompanied him on many journeys, including his journeys to Jerusalem. Uh, when the other disciples had abandoned him, Mary was present at Jesus' crucifixion. She was there when the tomb was sealed and was the first to discover the tomb was empty. She was also the first to whom he appeared following his alleged resurrection.
resurrection. Whether he actually died and came back from the dead isn't really relevant. The important part is that within the gospel, she is seen as important enough to have been the first to bear witness to his resurrection. Considering the writers had 11 perfectly good male apostles and also Judas to choose from, Mary had to have been pretty important to be left in the official record as the first to see Jesus return. Since I mentioned the Da Vinci Code earlier, I guess I should at least touch upon the Last Supper as well. Was Mary there? Uh, maybe. The only people specifically mentioned as being there are the Twelve Apostles, but that doesn't mean there weren't unnamed women in the background. The action in the scene was focused on the Apostles and Jesus' prediction that one of them would betray him, so there wasn't really any narrative purpose in mentioning anyone else being there. Unfortunately, this is most of what we definitively know about Mary Magdalene. She had money, she was one of Jesus' disciples, and based on how frequently and in what capacity she shows up in the New Testament, there's a strong chance that she was more important to Jesus than most of, if not all, the apostles. That's evidence that they were likely close, but it doesn't really point to marriage or romantic relationship. So, where did this theory come from? Dan Brown, not really. <laughs> The Gnostic Gospels. Gnostic? It's just Gnostic, right? Silent G. The Gnostic Ospels. The earliest references to Mary as potentially being Jesus' wife came from around the 2nd century during the rise of Gnosticism. Gnosticism was a collection of religious ideas that focused on individual spirituality rather than orthodox adherence to traditions and rituals. During this time, Mary Magdalene was a bit of a hero. She was not only seen as the 13th apostle, but was considered more enlightened than the rest. The Gospels of Philip, Thomas, and Mary all regard her as being the only one to truly understand Jesus' teachings, and they add there was much divine wisdom he had imparted exclusively unto her while he was alive. These Gnostic Gospels aren't considered canon, and to some, they're seen as heretical texts. The Gospel of Mary, of which only about half has been discovered, is named as such because it focuses primarily on a character named Mary. It is believed to be about Mary Magdalene, but this is a matter of debate as the ex extant text doesn't give her full name. Another possibility is that it pertains to Jesus' sister Mary. Yes, Jesus had six siblings, but we'll get to them later during the character assassination portion of today's episode. That sounds exciting, and also, good lord, could there be enough Marys? Can you imagine Mary so popular Jesus has two sisters called Mary? I would believe it, given how many Marys there are. Anyway, the Gnostic Gospels frequently refer to Mary as Jesus' companion or partner. The Gospel of Philip seems to push the narrative of their relationship hardest, with the other disciples complaining that he loved her more than them. When asked why, Jesus basically insults them. Even in the canonical Gospels, Jesus does an awful lot of insulting people for someone who is allegedly divine in nature. However, just before that exchange in the Gospel of Philip, it's the passage that receives the most attention. It opens by describing Mary Magdalene as both barren and the mother of the angels, which is an interesting juxtaposition. It says she was loved more than all the disciples, and that Jesus used to kiss her often on her then the next word is just annoyingly missing but the general consensus is that the missing word is mouth <laughs> the missing word is tits <laughs> oh the bible or the gnostic gospels or whatever <laughs> This is still a religious book, not a trashy novel from the checkout line of a grocery store. Disappointing. So it's not like the next word is going to be neck, thighs, or... <laughs> Jesus, Kevin, labia. <laughs> that, that, that would be a very different book. The two real options were mouth and cheek, and surprisingly of the two, the cheek would be the more personal one. Really? 
the past was different. It was traditional for early Christians to greet each other with the kiss of peace, which was a kiss on the mouth. This was also referred to as a holy kiss, or depending on the genders of the two involved, it could also be a brother kiss or sister kiss. If you've ever been to a mass where they told you to turn to one another and offer some sign of peace, historically, this is what they meant. Fortunately, this has largely been replaced with a simple hug, handshake, or even just a polite wave. <laughs> that would not be good for COVID times. Be like, stop it, don't do it. On the other hand, the kiss of love was an ancient Jewish greeting used for family and close friends, which was a hug and a kiss on the cheek. Both of these were pretty common throughout the Middle East and Mediterranean at the time, though the latter version spread more and both became and remains much more common. It's almost as if the later introduction of kissing being used romantically made people less thrilled about the idea of kissing random strangers on the mouth to say hello. Although the Gnostic writings portray Mary as being much more of a pivotal figure than the canonical Gospels did and seem at the very least to imply a much closer relationship between the two, there's still some much needed context here. The works were written between roughly 200 and 400 AD, at which point they would be several generations removed from the actual historical figures. Oral traditions exist, so one could theoretically argue that these stories dated back to when Jesus and Mary were alive and the four people who had already written biographies of Jesus either forgot or deliberately omitted the extent of their relationship. Mm, I don't know. I would be much more inclined to rely on actual history contemporary, contemporaneous to the time rather than oral tradition that has been passed down through hundreds of years and many generations. It's going to go wrong. It is true that the church would go on to try and severely downplay the importance of Mary and women in general, so on the surface this isn't a terrible argument. However, when we take into account the meaning of the Gospels of Mary, Thomas, and Philip, it calls their historic historicity into question. Though these works contain the same main characters as the New Testament Gospels, the religious message is completely different. These newer Gospels show a clear and heavy influence by Gnostic ideals. When Mary tells the other apostles of the private teachings she received, received from Jesus, she talks about things like the nature of matter and of the spirit, and that sin wasn't a real thing. Considering that Jesus is said to have died to have saved us from sin, it would be pretty weird for him to also claim not to not believe it existed. That would be like me letting myself get executed to save you from the ghost of Bigfoot. Kevin, honestly, mate, that's the sacrifice we all expect you to make. Although these texts were likely the impetus for the belief that Jesus and Mary were married, it's difficult to give them much historical value in terms of the characters represented within the story. What we do know is that Mary was extremely popular with the people, as was the Gospel of Mary. The first version of the text found in 1896 was written in Sahidic Coptic. However, two fragments of the text were found after this, both being later Greek translations. This means that it was widely distributed, and the dates on the documents show, found show that it was in circulation for hundreds of years. While this is the earliest indication we have that the two may have been more than just friends or business partners, oh, <laughs> business partners using Mary's family money to feed thousands of people and then taking all the credit. Jesus, come on, Jesus. But aside from fictional conspiracy theories presented by Dan Brown, this is the closest we have to direct evidence of their relationship. It may be not the most compelling argument, but it's been more than enough to generate over a millennium of speculation. That just leaves the question of if there's any evidence against the theory. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. 
every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Patrilateral parallel cousins and you. So... If Jesus was married, who would be his wife? Because this was ancient Israel, we'd have known the answer to that before he was even born. A lot of what we're going to talk about here is going to sound strange and maybe a little gross to modern Western individuals typically often does when we talk about the past, but Jesus lived in the Middle East in the first century AD, not in the United States of America. If we want to sincerely tackle the question of whether or not Jesus was married, we have to consider what marriage meant and how the institution operated for Jesus' contemporaries. And if we don't want to sincerely tackle the question, uh, then we're no better than ancient aliens. Marriage was not a romantic pursuit where two self-selecting partners chose one another. It was a contractual arrangement where the parties had no say in who they married and love had absolutely nothing to do with it. Though temporary marriages or pleasure marriages did exist, these were also contracts with monetary compensation for services rendered. <laughs> pleasure marriages sounds a lot like their way of saying sex work. Despite the name, the description today probably makes it clear that these were not romantic trysts. It was generally used to provide a male with companionship on a long journey in which his wife or betrothed could not accompany him, and was no more romantic than the traditional form of marriage. Traditional marriage was meant to join two families, to increase their honor for financial and social stability, and to ensure the continuation of the family lineage. Well, I say two families, but it was usually only one. At that time, the best possible marriage partner would be your patrilineal parallel cousin, which is is to say your father's brother's daughter father's brother so your cousin isn't that just your regular so your father's brother would be your uncle and his daughter would be your cousin Patrilin oh okay i guess that patrilineal parallel parallel is just the way of saying that cousin so your your cousin on your dad's side basically this was the ideal and most common form of marriage and in some places it still is if you were to trace Saddam Hussein's entire family tree, it consists of nothing but these first cousin marriages. This wasn't to conserve some royal bloodline as was seen in many incestuous European monarchies, it's just the way their society did things. These marriages would have been the norm throughout the Middle East, including ancient Israel, so if Jesus was going to be married, it should ideally be to his first cousin. Which does sound so weird, doesn't it? <laughs> like today, it's like that's weird. <laughs> Of course, this wasn't always possible. If your father's brother didn't have a daughter, who would be left for you to marry? Well, the next best option would be your father's brother's son's daughter. Oh, Jesus Christ. So, your father's brother, so your uncle's son's daughter. Oh, okay, so that's a generation younger than you, right? So you're going to be waiting a while. Although this was the past, so <laughs> could get even more weird, couldn't it? If there was no wife to be had there either, then they would check the matrilineal cousins to find a daughter. Your mother's brother's daughter may be only the third best option for marriage, but it was still pretty good. It made far more sense than some random woman that lived 350 miles away in Magdala. These ancient societies only focused on patrilineal marriages, but the families were also patrilocal. This meant that the new wife would move in with the husband and his family or at least as close to the husband's father as possible. This resulted in something that was highly beneficial to them, uh, which will seem a little gross to our modern sensibilities. If you lived in a small or smallish village, most likely everyone there was your cousin. They could be second or third cousins, but the nature of combining parallel cousin marriage selection and residing close to the patriarch was destined to result in something like this. The benefit of that is that everything you need would be right there. All of a person's best choices for marriage would live in the same town, as with their entire social support system. There is no reason for a person to travel to seek out a wife. 
<laughs> it's weird that this is how humanity ended up being for a period of time because like evolution wise we know genetic diversity uh, is is really good and somehow we didn't go down that path <laughs> for a long time like you you are the result whoever's listening to this of many many cousin marriages many i'm not sure if it's a correct stat but i think the stat is that most marriages in history have been between cousins that would make sense right because humanity's gone on for a really long time we're marrying our cousins for ages these cousin marriages were normally arranged at or shortly after birth. There, they were planned by the mother and then announced by the father. This led to an interesting question, and one that Jesus' followers, Nazarenes, would have been acutely aware of. Who exactly was supposed to announce Jesus' marriage arrangement? Oh yeah. Was it the carpenter, Joseph? Was it God himself? Was it the Roman soldier, Pantera? Rest in peace, Daryl. Jesus' birth was more than a little bit suspicious at the time. The people knew that Mary and Joseph had a bone yet but somehow mary was pregnant ah <laughs> how'd you get pregnant mary it was it was god it was god that's how i got pregnant it, it, it's a miracle joseph be like i guess so <laughs> If you're wondering how everyone knew they had had sex yet, think about small town gossip, then think how much worse and more personal of that gossip would be if everyone in town was your cousin. Jesus' birth was not only suspicious, it was also shameful. If the point of marriage was to increase the family's honor and standing in the community, what good would marrying a daughter off to Jesus do for the parents? It didn't help that people loved to bring up Jesus' shameful origin story to him frequently, and this reputation didn't stay with him in Nazareth either. In one instance in in Jerusalem, Jesus was having an argument with a bunch of men who were essentially disparaging him for being a bastard. They claimed to be descendants of Abraham, and Jesus told them, If you were Abraham's children, you wouldn't act like Abraham. You're doing the works of your own fathers. Basically, he was telling them to fuck off, because half of them were bastards too. Like I said before, Jesus really had a thing for insulting people. He was also frequently referred to as Jesus, son of Mary. There was a this was a big social no-no. People were always referred to as son of their father's name, not their mother's, and so to do otherwise was usually a huge sign of disrespect indicative of a bastard. The only time it wouldn't be disrespectful would be if the mother was a widow, but unfortunately we have no idea when Joseph died. We know he died before the crucifixion, but without a better estimate of exactly when, this one could technically go either way. Even with Jesus' lack of social standing, his best chance for a wife would be to remain in Nazareth. Eventually, someone would have a daughter that was even more shameful than he was, right? So why would he break with social convention to move away from his family alone? Well, he was essentially run out of town. He spoke at the synagogue when he was 12, and his words resulted in an angry mob trying to murder him, so, you know, probably a good idea to move on at this point. There was also some stuff going on involving John the Baptist and King Herod that made the decision to move even easier. Unfortunately, moving would not make him a more suitable choice for a husband. As I said before, his reputation and the scandal surrounding his birth followed him. It was also in Jerusalem, just after he appointed his twelve apostles, that his mother and brothers said that he was insane and possibly possessed. So, we have a guy without the normal social support structure, with no money, with no social standing, and whose family was rather concerned about his mental health. He had his ministry by this point, but would a believing woman be willing to look past everything else, and who would arrange this 
marriage. He had financial support from Mary Magdalene and the unnamed women, but if he married one, would the financial support from all of the others suddenly vanish? He was also already 30 years old by the time he started gaining any following, and the typical age for men to get married was 20, which was another strike against him. Everything we know about society and marriage's function in it at the time, combined with the stories we have about the life of Jesus, make it seem like he would not have been a suitable partner for any sort of arranged marriage. Admittedly, we don't know how much of the Gospels are accurate, though. Historians agree that Jesus and Mary really existed as people, but nearly everything else is a bit up in the air. Considering that the Gospels were written by people who loved and wanted to spread the word of Jesus, since we've only been focusing on the parts of it that basically shit on him and his reputation, I think it's fair to be less skeptical of that stuff than if we were talking about the alleged miracles. Yeah, it's like for sure. Given the source of these stories and who the authors believe Jesus' father to be, I wouldn't be surprised if they actually tried to downplay just how shameful his birth was. Despite all of this, is it possible that Jesus and Mary got married anyway? She was important to Jesus, she had some amount of wealth, though we don't know how much, and she was unmarried. We know that she didn't have a husband before meeting Jesus because her surname was derived from her home of Magdala rather than from her husband's name. If the claim in the Gnostic Gospels of Mary being barren are true, and there's absolutely no reason to believe that it is other than maybe her marital status, then she would have been equally of an undesirable partner as Jesus, so a union wouldn't have been out of the question. So far, it's theoretically possible, albeit barely, but there's one big thing that we didn't mention yet. We talked about the culture surrounding marriage and what was written in the Bible, but we haven't talked about what wasn't written in the Bible. There's no mention of Jesus being married or of or of he and Mary having any sort of romantic or sexual relationship. That's not necessarily proof in and of itself, as we did mention that the church definitely rewrote Mary's backstory and tried to downplay her significance. However, there is one key omission that for many people is the smoking gun in all of this. In the Apostle Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians, he speaks out about the rights of a preacher. In it, he says, Do we not have a right to take along a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Cephas refers to the Apostle Peter, who Jesus named as the first pope. So, in this passage, when Paul is appealing for his right and the right of all preachers to marry, he points to the other apostles, to the pope and to Jesus' brothers and says, Well, they're all married, so why can't I have a wife too? If Jesus had actually married, wouldn't Paul just have cited Jesus' own marriage as the definitive proof that they too should be allowed to take wives? I would think that would be a much more compelling argument, and the fact that he didn't make it is a pretty strong indication that he couldn't because Jesus wasn't married. Yeah, I mean, the next we're about to move into the wrap-up, so I'll just say like my opinion here. It's like, no, he wasn't. There's lots of evidence against it. There's not really anything for it other than some vague speculation. So no, I don't think so. Wrap up. Based on all the evidence, it seems vanishingly unlikely that Mary Magdalene was married to Jesus or that either of them was married to anyone for that matter. Married or not, is it still possible that they banged? I mean, sure, why not? They were real historical people and people have certain needs. There was no requirement for preachers to be celibate and many people of the day would have seen celibacy is the greatest sin of all. After all, the family unit was incredibly important, especially when choosing a marriage partner. Even though it's possible they did. I don't know that I'd put any money on it. Much of the texts make them seem too close for that, as weird as it sounds. Of all the types of relationships that existed back then, the emotional bond between husband and wife was the weakest. Even 
and enemies would at least have a strong emotional bond of mutual hatred, but for husband and wife, there really was nothing. They were just the cousin that your parents decided you were going to have babies with for the sake of the family. This seems so weird to us in like the future. The strongest emotional bond that existed was between a mother and firstborn son, which sucks for all of the other sons, followed closely by the bond between brother and sister. If Mary was more to Jesus than just another disciple, they are more likely to have seen themselves as brother and sister due to the emotional connection. Then again, with everything else we've talked about, I suppose that wouldn't take sex off the table entirely <laughs> yeah the past so if the two weren't married why is this belief so popular even though religious and secular historians agree that there was no marriage between Jesus and Mary, why has this belief persisted so heavily? There is a mountain of papers on the subject that claim with absolute certainty that they were married and had children, and it's not a new idea either. We mentioned that it began during the rise of Gnosticism in the second century, but it has persisted ever since. It was a key tenet in the beliefs of the Cathars of the 12th to 14th centuries, and it has been greatly debated since it was first proposed. The concept of not just their marriage, but their alleged children in the Jesus bloodline has an equally long history of debate with countless theories crafted on the subject. There are even documentaries exploring the bloodline and trying to trace the descendants of Jesus. So, Jesus would have a lot of descendants. So why has this belief persisted and why does it seem to be more popular than ever? The bloodline thing is pretty simple. People think it would be cool. The idea that there could be descendants of Jesus who possess some fragments of his magical powers is enticing to a lot of people, and even more enticing is the possibility that some of us could even claim to be direct descendants of Jesus. A lot of people could, and also, like, well, he wasn't magical. That's why there's the, re the greatest evidence of this is that there's no magical people around today. Like, with any reasonable amount of proof, there's people who are like, no, I'm magic, I can read minds. It's like, it's always shown to be, no, you can't as we've covered many times on this channel. If somehow my conclusion was proven wrong tomorrow, and historians could definitively prove that not only did Jesus have children, but that you, Simon Whistler, are his direct descendant, even as someone who doesn't believe in God, you have to admit that would be cool. Yeah, it'd be cool. It'd be cool as, like, same as finding out that, yeah, yeah Napoleon was, like, your great, 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 great granddad. You'd be like, sweet, that's pretty cool. And then I wouldn't think about it very much. And Napoleon was a lot more recent than uh, Jesus. It'd kind of be cooler to be related to Napoleon, to be honest. The other reason the idea not only persists but has risen in popularity is because it was so damn long ago that those of us in the West have little to no understanding of what life was like back then. In the Middle East, culture hasn't really changed as much. Parallel cousin marriages are no longer mandatory, but they remain common, accounting for just under half of all marriages. Wow. And even though a man is not required to marry his father's brother's daughter anymore, he does need his approval to marry someone else. To them, the idea that Jesus would have married Mary would likely seem utterly ridiculous. But in the West, things are different. We have romantic marriages with self-selecting partners, and we don't limit ourselves to the town in which we were born. Thanks to modern technology, and especially the internet, it's not uncommon for people to date and subsequently marry someone who lives hundreds, if not thousands of miles away, something that would previously have been unheard of. As our society changes, we mistakenly try to apply our beliefs and values to the past to make them more relatable. It's the same thing that the church did with Jesus' physical appearance. The man born in Israel in the first century was not going to look like a northern European, and it would be really weird if he did. Likewise, he would not have had a similar thought process or belief system to a modern American, and that would be even weirder if he did. A Middle Eastern man born in the first century would not have been a romantic individualist searching the world for his ideal soulmate because 
that's not how the world worked back then. The belief that he and Mary could have had a happily ever after, or at least a happily ever after until horrifically executed by the Romans, persists today as a Western fantasy. And that it's what we want for them, because it's what our values tell us we would want in that situation, and thus what they should have wanted 2,000 years ago. It's just not a plausible outcome for that time and place. Unfortunately, because that is the driving force behind the persistence of this belief, it's unlikely to go away any sooner than Flat Earth or the fake moon landing conspiracy theories. But there is a silver lining. Mary Magdalene may not have been Jesus' wife, but if the story of the resurrection is true, then she is the first and only person on an episode of Decoding the Unknown to actually see a ghost. Yeah, but, but, but it's not, is it? <laughs> Thank you for watching, everybody. If you enjoyed this show and you're listening to it as a podcast, please leave it a review. It really helps out. If you're watching on YouTube, hello there. Like, subscribe, and I'll see you next time. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. 